Hi, and welcome to the GLOW Podcast. I'm Dawn Rayleigh, co-pastor of Calvary Christian Center and pastor of the Women of Calvary. I have a passion to raise daughters who understand their identity in Christ and equip them to have confidence in who God has made them to be. In that confidence, they glow and lead others into the light and life-saving power of Jesus Christ. Connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at Dawn Rayleigh and for all things GLOW at GLOW WOC. Ladies, I am so excited. Ooh, I have the low voice. Did you notice that? All of a sudden it came out, it surprised me too. I was like, whoa, I sound like a man. Um, that happens when I travel. My husband and I always laugh because it's like I just, you know, that sleep deprivation, it affects my voice somehow. And all of a sudden I'm like uber masculine, but I'm not. I'm fully female, but sound super masculine. So super excited to be with you. I get the next couple sessions with you and we're going to go for it. Is that cool? When I was asked to speak to singles, I got really excited because to me, this is one of the least addressed groups in the church. And yet statistically, it fills the church the most. Did you know that? So there's more single people in church than married people, and yet single people are some of the least addressed people. And I'm gonna share my story so you guys can get to know me a little bit, but there's a reason why I'm speaking to you about singleness. Is that good? All right, so here's some stats about me. My name is Krista. I didn't start dating or fall in love until I was 38 years old. I know, go ahead and take a deep breath there. I got married when I was 39 years old and prior to dating Sean, the love of my life who just came in, I had never been in love or a serious relationship. In fact, I was the girl that was always the bridesmaid and never the bride. In fact, here's true statistic in my life, I was a bridesmaid 13 times, and I was probably involved in over 20 weddings, and that's being conservative. Watching the movie 27 Dresses was a little rude. When I watched it, I was like, that's rude, she's trying to be helpful, right? And so I was the girl that my friends were scanning the baptism tank for possible suitors. And they're like, hey, he's cute. And I was like, he's been clean and saved for 24 hours. So that's probably not going to work out for me, right? And because I was a single pastor for 13 years, I pastored as a single woman for 13 years, I had plenty of awkward church matchmaking moments. Even one time when I was on the pastoral staff at a large church in Las Vegas, there was a conference when we were more in person at that time, and I was called on the platform, and the pastor actually started talking about the attributes about me that he thought were marryable, and uh, a good reason that someone would want to pursue me in front of thousands of people and then said as a joke that there were applications in the front foyer. Like, I'm not kidding. I literally was like humiliated. It was like the most awkward, right? So I've also had a half a dozen men tell me that I was their wife and that was in our first conversation. Can that's another day for another, let's call that single etiquette. We'll talk about that another day. But I want you to know if God told you someone is your spouse, do not tell them until after you marry them. That, oh, by the way, God told me that I was going to marry you. How about that? Like, let Jesus do all of that. You do not need to manipulate or manage the situation. But I say all this to say, I get singleness, I get process. 
And I understand what it is to wait on God for the desires of your heart to come to pass. Now, in this room is full of women from all walks of life. Some of you are single simply because of your age and where you're at in that life. Some of you are not single by choice. Some of you are actually single through traumatic situations and circumstances that you found yourself in an unexpected place. Some of you have wanted it, desired it, but it just hasn't happened. And I want you to know, regardless of the way in which you find yourself single, God is still writing your story. God is writing your story regardless if you understand it. Did you know that in my life, I quickly have learned through this journey of singleness that my understanding was not a prerequisite for my obedience. Now, let me back up that statement because some of you, if you grab a hold of that truth, that's going to set you free. So many times we feel like we have to understand God in order to follow God and then even more importantly, trust God. But in order to trust God, sometimes it's just called faith. You have to know that his goodness and his mercy and his intentions towards you are always good because he's a good father. And because he's a good father, you can trust who he is even when you don't understand the situation that you find yourself in. For many of us in this room, even take singleness out of the equation, we have found ourselves in situations we don't understand. And yet we can have a confidence and a peace that God is still at work writing your story. Why? Because we know our father is good and he always writes good stories. That's what our Jesus does. But see, in my life, I actually had a real sovereignty and a real peace over my life in my singleness. So I prayed a prayer at 19 years old. It was super cheesy, but I meant every word of it. And it was like this, Jesus, I give you my heart and I want you to keep it. And I don't want you to give it back to me until I have permission to give it away. Cheesy, I know. I meant every word of it. I said, Jesus, I'm all in. Well, at 19 years old, because I had a real, I believe, an encounter with God that marked me as a Nazarite. So I was choosing to live a life of consecration to what it is to be set apart. So I was just going after God in college. I got rocked by God in college. And I was just going after the things of God. And in this process, I didn't know that the prayer that I prayed at 19 years old, the Lord wouldn't be giving me back my heart until I was 38 years old, 19 years later. I wouldn't be getting married until 20 years later. So it's funny how you say a prayer and you mean it, but then you gotta walk it out. And for me, it was the next 20 years. And But I want you to know, from 19 to 35, there was a grace on me for my singleness. It does not mean there were not lonely nights. It does not mean there were moments where I just kind of wanted to give in and go, you know what, that guy that's been asking me out, I, every time I went to the Lord and I said, Jesus, because this used to be my question to the Lord, when I would get pursued, I would ask the Lord, or I had feelings for someone, I would say, Jesus, do I have permission? And for 19 years, the Lord said, no, you do not, daughter. And so for 19 years, I had to trust God, even on when it looks good on paper, when it looks good in the natural. What, Lord, there's nothing wrong with him. I quickly learned there doesn't have to be something wrong with someone in order for there not to be permission. There simply has to be the absence of the peace of the Father. If you don't have the peace of the Lord, you have no business touching it. If God's anointing is not on it, you don't want to have anything to do with it. And so I quickly learned it doesn't have to... Uh, be a reason why not other than if God you said no to me then that's enough for me but for 19 years I'm going through this and there would be a year or two years I would have no pursuers and then one year you would have like five pursuers you know it would like be in masses and then crickets and desert anyone relate to me right 
And it was like there was a testing in my endurance. There was a testing in the sense of the Lord allowed my heart to be tested, not to be cruel, but to allow me an opportunity to walk into a deeper place because every year that passed by, I noticed a depth in my presence, my depth in the presence of God deepened. I noticed that the years that went by and when I actually leaned into the no, and I allowed the no of the Lord to be enough that my relationship with Jesus went deeper in the trusting. At 35 years old, I'm having my 35th birthday party. And like everyone else, what do you do on your birthday? You blow out candles on a cake. And I made a wish. And my wish was the same for years. And it was, this is my year. I'm going to meet my husband. Well, I, had, I had wished that thing for the last, like, you know, 14 years at that point. But at 35, I blew out the candles, making the same wish. As soon as I blew out the candles, remember, I had said I had lonely nights, but overall, I had an overarching sovereign grace over me till I was 35. I had been in a lot of weddings. I had been, uh, done a lot of different things, but I had had this grace in my singleness. 35, blow out the candles. All of a sudden, it's like I blew the grace of God out of my body. The next day, I wake up and all of a sudden, I feel desperate in my singleness. And I'm like, what in the world is this? I had never experienced feeling desperate in my singleness. All of a sudden, the bubble that the Lord I didn't even know had blessed me with literally was not there. And I said, Jesus, what's going on? Silence. For the next two weeks, I was like, I had an ache in me. I, I, had, a, I had almost a sadness in me. I was like, what is going on? I'm just not okay with being single. And you have to understand, I was in Southern Oregon where I was born and raised because I had moved back up there during that season of my life. And it was crickets. I mean, there was no options. And when I say no options, I mean not one single viable option was around me. And I said, Jesus, I've never felt that. I'm, I'm praying for the grace. I'm asking for the grace. Lord, I, okay, now I realize the grace that you had me. And I did not realize it until you lifted. He said, he's a Krista. I've lifted the grace because I'm about to ask you a question that's going to change everything. I said, Jesus, what is that? He said, the question is this. You have to know that I'm going to ask you a question that will change everything depending on how you respond to it. And the question was this. If... You never get married. Am I enough? And the Lord had lifted the grace because it's easy to say yes when you do not feel the full measure of your desire. See, when I'm in grace of my singleness, I'm not feeling the depth of my ache. I'm not feeling the depth of my longing. I don't know the vastness of my desire. Because when you're in grace, there's a protection, there's a covering, there's a, a supernatural peace. Anyone relate to that? But you don't feel the longing, you don't feel the aching, you don't feel the, the tears aren't there, right? Because when you're in a grace per se, there's like this peace, this joy, this rest, this confidence in God. But when God lifts the grace, you feel all the feels. You feel all the things. And so God allowed me for two weeks to experience the depth of my desire. I felt the depth of my longing. And then he asked me that question. I was like, whoo. So he went, it's like, I, I literally was like, oh, you're going for my jugular. Like he went for my number one. He was like, if you can trust me with that, your number one desire. Ladies, I'm putting this through the narrative of singleness. 
But you are gonna, you can put this through any narrative of your life for whatever you're waiting for. Because even if one day God does bring us someone for you and you do get married, there are things you're gonna have to wait for in marriage because marriage is not a cure, it's a compliment. So here, God allows us and allowed me to come into this place where I had to count the cost of my yes. And I asked the Lord, I said, Jesus, if I'm really honest, you are not enough, but I know you need to be because if you are not, marriage will not satisfy. And the Lord, I asked the Lord, will you teach me? Will you become enough in my life? Now, you would think that maybe the grace would have come back on me at that point. That is not the scenario. The Lord allowed the depth of that cost to be measured within me. Measured meaning I felt it. I felt the weight. I felt the price I was paying because then he brought me to a place where he says, I'm going to teach you what it is to lay it down at the altar. And we're going to go through a portion of scripture. And as we go to that portion, I want you, if you have your Bibles, and if you don't, that's okay. We're going to read Genesis 22. But before we jump to Genesis 22, I want to just take you a little bit further into my story. And then I want to jump into Genesis 22. So remember, 35, the Lord asked me this question, am I enough? I say, you're not, but I need you to be. Because if you're not, nothing will satisfy. I knew that. And he had felt enough in every other area. He went after the one thing the one thing and that I didn't even know I was requiring to live out the fullness of my destiny because there were parts of my life, ladies, I was putting on hold unknowingly that I was waiting to live out or do the things of God. And I had bought the house. I had done the different things. It wasn't those things in the practical. It was spiritually. It was spiritually saying, Jesus, I'm all in. Meaning, I had already given my life, I'd lived as a Nazarite, but I'm talking a level of surrender of whatever the price is to be paid, whatever needs to happen for your glory to be fully manifested in my life. If that is accomplished, if that is completed through me being single, then so be it. Lord, it does not matter, it cannot matter anymore. I will not have any requirements for my full abandonment. So the Lord was going after the areas of my heart, specifically this one area where he's like, can I have it? Can you trust me? I know this is a little bit different style of speaking to singles, but ladies, to me, this is everything. Because if you get this, it changes everything. Where marriage isn't the goal, abandonment to Jesus is the goal. Because so many times we make be, this time is your preparatory time to get ready for marriage. There is absolute truth and wisdom in that. Get healthy, get healed, get set free, get delivered. Be who you're called to be. I 100% believe that. However, if you never get married, you are doing all that so you are the best version of what God wants to do in your life regardless. None of it is wasted. It all has purpose. See, I had a resolve as a female pastor to show different people that you could be single and be happy and content. And I really did have a fulfillment in my life. See, I had seen some women in the church and some men in the church that had been single, but they were miserable. 
And because I was refusing to take matters into my own hands, because the goal wasn't to check marriage off my list. If I want to go get married, any of us in this room can find someone to marry us. But the goal wasn't marriage. The goal was God's highest and his best for my life. And sometimes the story of God's best and highest in your life takes some time. And for me, it took 20 years. It took me about a year and a half, 35 to about 36 and a half where I grieved it and I grieved it like you would anything because when God asks you the question, am I enough? And you say, Jesus, you're not, but I need you to be. There's a grieving process that has to take place. Meaning I had to lay it on the altar of the Lord, not knowing if I was going to get it back because we don't lay things on the altar of the Lord and then go back a week later and pick it back up. No, no, we are sacrificing it before the Lord. We are laying it down. That means we're fully trusting it. Therefore, I had to let go of the dream of marriage, of all those things, of family, all those things. My father walking me down the aisle, all the, I, I played it out. And I said, Jesus, I lay that on the altar. I lay that on the altar. I lay that on. And there was a year and a half of a grieving process that was real, but it was required because I was counting the cost saying, Jesus, I'm all in. If there's any part of my life that has become a prerequisite in order for there to be the full manifestation of your presence in my life, if it has opposed itself against you, any area of my life, then Lord, you have it, I put it on the altar. A year and a half goes in, I have finally hit the place of contentment. I have finally hit the place of grace. And then the Lord says this to me, now I'm gonna teach you to contend for my promise over your life. I said, hold on. At 35 years old, you asked me if you were enough. For the last year and a half, I have gone through the grieving process. I have fully laid it down. I'm finally content in my singleness. Content meaning fully at peace, fully at joy, fully surrendered, fully embracing, living, engaged, present with my life, genuinely fulfilled, happy, content, like fully. And it was real, it wasn't manufactured, it wasn't forced, it was fully authentic. I was great with it. I didn't think I was gonna get married and I genuinely was like, we're good. And then God says to me, now in your contentment, I want to teach you to contend for the promise. Never losing that posture of being content. Because whether or not I do it or not, Krista, woo, I never want you to lose what it is to be content. And yet I want you to believe for the promises of God. What a delicate tension. What a difficult tension. And then the Lord, when he brought me to that place, he brought me to Genesis 22. And it says sometime later, verse one, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called, yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I show you. So the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, and two of his servants went with him along with his son Isaac. And then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. 
On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here on the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. And so Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offerings on Isaac's shoulder while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and we have the wood, the boy said, but where's the sheep? for the burnt offering. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son Abraham said, and they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it, and then he tied his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. The angel said, don't hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket, so he took the ram and sacrificed as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yahweh, which means the Lord will provide. I love that. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. I believe the Lord in your area of singleness, God is saying, can you be like an Abraham? And can you lay it on the altar of the Lord? Because I said it a moment ago, but I'll say it again. The ladies, the goal is not marriage. The goal is fully surrendering and trusting Jesus. The, full, the goal is fully living a life that gives God glory. And if God, I always say, marriage is not a promise per se. It's not a guarantee, right, that it's going to happen. But I do believe that God puts desires on our heart that he does want to fulfill. But if it doesn't happen, you, we have a crossroad moment of a choice of how we're going to respond in that. But I believe if we already have a life of consecration, not from a place of saying, I don't have hope for that, but saying, God, I can believe you for that. I want that. It's a desire in my heart. But it is not a requirement for me to be all out for you. What a different approach to a society that has a billion dollar industry on making sure you can just be in any sort of relationship. Did you know that the online apps, the dating apps, the dating services is over a billion dollar industry in America? Everything about our society is based on if you are getting together or you are breaking up with something. Everything's revolves around that. But I want you to know there is a much higher perspective we're called to live from. It's called a life of full consecration to the Lord. It's a life that's about his glory. See, the Lord was asking for my Isaac. So just like Isaac... I was asked to go to the altar of the Lord. I had to be intentional about being prepared to bring my sacrifice to the Lord. And here's what's so interesting, and sometimes we don't think about Abraham in this journey. Can you imagine having to prepare for this journey? This isn't going to Orlando to Disney World. This isn't fun. This isn't exciting. This isn't something you saved up for. This wasn't something that you circled on your calendar. And you're like, can't wait. Two more days. Two more days. Right? There was nothing about this that you were like countdown mode. Everything about this, ladies, was I actually have to prepare my servants the food 
food. I'm going to go sacrifice my son. The prophetic son, the prophetic promise. Did you know that Isaac was the promised child? It was the promised child over a womb that had been barren, but had been prophesied over. So a barren womb had this child. This child is the promise. It's a fulfillment of the resurrection power of God. It's the fulfillment of a long-awaited prophetic journey of him and his wife. And then God has the audacity to ask for the promise, but Sometimes when the promises become an idol, God's saying, can you sacrifice it? Because even the marriage that you want so bad, if he gives it to you at this time in your life until you're consecrated, that marriage will become an idol before your love for Jesus. Ooh, Selah. We want marriage, but your marriage cannot supersede your relationship with Jesus. Our lives have to be rooted and grounded with Jesus before we can step into a covenant with a person, with a man. Our covenant has to be on lockstep with Jesus. What does that mean? In, in sync with Jesus. Abraham had to cut the wood, organize the servants, get the food ready, communicate to his wife. I don't know if he told her the truth. I don't know if it was like a faith movement, like we're going to go to go to the mountain of the Lord and do an offering. By the way, I feel like God said it was our son. I kind of have a feeling, not so much. I have a feeling he, he did like the classic, we're going to go to the altar of the Lord. The Lord has an offering there. And he did. But Abraham went there in obedience to what God was asking. And what did God do? Before, of course, that happened, we read it in scripture, God goes, do not lay a hand on him, for I have seen you have withheld nothing. Ladies, that is the goal of our lives. There is where we're going, to withhold nothing. William McDowell, one of my favorite songs, withholding nothing, right? Withholding nothing, withholding nothing. I, I, I meditate on that song all the time. I mean, the anointing, the glory on that song, but it's all about the posture, withholding nothing nothing. We have our hearts set on the desires of our heart, the dreams of our heart, and they're beautiful, and they're good, and they're God-given. But can he have any of them at any time because we withhold nothing? I know, not your typical singles talk. See, friends, this is about lordship. This is about saying, Jesus, I'm all yours. You know how powerful it is as a woman to be able to say, I'm all yours. Abraham was saying to the God, I'm all yours. I'll even bring the promise on the altar. So many times people are like, Krista, how did you walk with joy in your singleness? Because it was in my year and a half journey. Remember, I from 35 to 36 and a half and I'm grieving it, but I got to the end of that place and I found this joy at the altar. And it's when I shifted my mindset and I no longer focused on the sacrifice. Sacrifices are painful. Sacrifice, I'm looking at the cost. I'm looking at the price. That's where my perspective, that's where I'm looking fully just at that. But when I view it as an offering, it's my joy 
I choose to put it on the altar. I'm participating in it. So it shifts from when you're just focused on the sacrifice to the offering. Meaning, I found joy. Ladies, you will find joy when it's like, oh, this is my privilege for everything you have given to me. Oh, Lord, you set me free from this. You set me free from that. I see your goodness. I see your mercy. What a joy to be able to lay on the altar of the Lord. Whatever you ask of me, I trust you with it. And I find joy that I'm able to give you something that is found pleasing in your sight. What a joy if I only had multiple lives to give to you, but God, let this life be an offering to you. That's what I want. I don't know about you, but I found a joy in my giving. I found a joy in the participation. See, God isn't looking for forced participation. He's not looking for you just to be a robot and robotically obey the things of God. He's looking for the cheerful giver. He's looking for the joyful offering. He's looking for the exuberant praise. But that's found when you find joy in the offering. Because even in the cost, even in the price sometimes of sacrifice, what a gift to be able to give to the Father. There's some things that I want to quickly go through these with you ladies some things I had to push through in order to hit that place of joy. I had to push through my own personal timelines and expectations. We live in a society that has silent checkbox of when we're supposed to be married by, when you're supposed to have your first child by, when you're supposed to do this by, when you're supposed to do that by. And those timelines and those boxes that we're to check are created by society, by ourselves, by our family, by our friends, by a bless you, but the church, the Christian culture. And when we do not meet the timelines, we often feel like we have missed it. I want you to know God is writing a story that is unique to you. And when you have chosen to follow God and surrender God, allow the timeline, whatever that looks like, to be something that you can not only trust, but enjoy. See, I, I was believing for a man of God. I wasn't looking for someone that I had to pastor, counsel, counsel, or set free. I'm not trying to be your mother. I'm not trying to be your pastor. I'm not trying to be your counselor. I'm trying to be your wife, your companion, your best friend, your supporter, your encourager, and I'll be your refuge, and I'll be an encourager, and I'll, you know, I'll pray for you, I'll be your intercessor, but I want someone that is healed, healthy, whole, going so hard after God, I can barely keep up. That's what I'm looking for. Those are not a dime a dozen. I'm going to say there's one in my generation. Just kidding. <laughs> but I waited for a man that I believed God could, could bring me, but I didn't know where he was. So in that journey of waiting and believing, yet being content in my singleness, but believing for the promises of God, I'm not, I felt like God took me in this tension. I had friends many times that were wanting to set me up or me to do different things. And you know, a lot of people ask me, and I hope it's okay I go here. I'm just gonna be me, is this okay? She's talking, Pastor Dawn's talking about her bathroom experiences. I'm, I, I feel freedom in the house, which I appreciate. And just, just to know you're not alone, God speaks to me in the bathroom all the time. Who in here has God speak to them in the bathroom, right? 
we are all the same. We are, it's, it's, I really believe you're, so, it's when we're quiet, we're actually still, you're right, you're right. It's, it's so, it's so true. But I say this to say, I would often have people uh, challenge my standards, challenge my desires, and I'm not about list. I know that this could disagree with some people because they're like, write it down, make it plain, all that stuff. Yeah, I think there's some non-negotiables in what you want, but <laughs> you can't say you want like six one super hot with a six pack African-American because wait, I got them. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> Because he's taken. I'm just kidding. No, I mean, because it's not, because when people get so detailed, to me, I'm like, oh, go, for, go for like the non-negotiables, meaning he loves Jesus. He has integrity. He's kind. He's patient. He's generous. Because we don't want no stingy man. He is generous. He's generous with his heart, his time. Yes, his finances, but generous. He lives generously. He lives honorably. You want the non-negotiables. You want the things that are like the intangibles, but the everything. All the other stuff, all the physical stuff. I mean, honestly, like, just tear that list up. Just tear that, tear that nonsense up. And to me, that feels nonsense. Because it's not important. It doesn't have eternal value. Yes, if you're going to be having sex with someone for the rest of your life, you better as heck have some chemistry. Hello. Yes. So be, be attracted to them. I'm serious. Hence, Jesus gave me that. I mean, yes, right? Yes. But what I'm going to say is just because everyone in your world may not think he's hot. Who cares? You're the one that's going to be with him. Not them. So don't worry about what anyone else thinks. Whether they think he's cute or hot, it does not matter. What do you think? Right? So there's got to be some freedom in this process where I think a lot of times we make it very rigid. But I believe I got challenged on my standards. I got challenged that I was too high of standards and that's why I wasn't married. And so people want to set up dating profiles and all this stuff. And I just quickly learned, again, online dating is not a moral issue. It's not a moral issue. I'm not trying to make it a moral issue. It is not wrong to do it morally, but here, I'm just saying this. I'm just being true to my, my convictions and actually, I'm gonna remove the word conviction out of it. It wasn't even a conviction. It was just my desire. And that was this. I just, I knew that wasn't supposed to be my story. Was it, there's not anything wrong with online dating. I don't think, I know people that have literally met great people on online dating. There's a, so I'm not critical of it, but I had to be authentic to me. I had to be authentic to what God was saying to me. And that is people will challenge your waiting. They will challenge your stance. They will challenge your resolve. And as the years go on, people will begin to insert their opinion on what they believe the prescription is for your deliverance. Do you see what I'm saying? So I had my best friends sit me down and have a literal intervention in my early 30s and be like, we're gonna set up an online dating for you. Because your standards are a little high, we love you. But, and I was like, no, 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 let, let re recalibrate. Here we go, we're gonna recalibrate this moment and that's called let me reiterate what I'm waiting for. I'm not just waiting for anybody. Not anyone will just do. I am not just checking this off the list. And if it doesn't happen, I'm okay because I am not desperate. 
I am already fulfilled. I'm already completed in Christ Jesus. I'm simply looking for a partner and a compliment to what God is already doing. And let me just end with this ladies on this point. And that is I'm not waiting to be chosen, but I choose. So many times as women, we grew up in a society where if we look pretty and we look cute and we can just diet our way down to our weight goal and we say that cute little funny thing, right? We can be in this place where we can say, you know, I'm good enough for that person. Oh, maybe they'll choose me. Ladies, when the Lord said that to me one time, he says, Chrissy, you are not waiting to be chosen. You choose. Is he good enough for you? Is he what you have waited for? What you have fasted for? What you've paid the price for? You live a life of consecration. Can he match you on that? You, you should be able to, to, to desire and want what you're able to bring to the table. Is that too much to ask? No, it is not. So ladies, I want to just speak some truth over. You're not sitting there docile, just waiting to be chosen by some man. No, no, it, because I, I'm telling one of my friends who's living this journey right now, she's in her forties and there's a couple pursuers. And my whole thing to her is, I want you to know you choose who is God's best for you. And it's between you and the Lord in that process where you're constantly going back to Jesus and saying, Lord, is he an Ishmael or is he an Isaac? because I want the best. I don't want some man-made version of what you were supposed to give me. So I want you to know, never lower your standards and don't come underneath the belief system that there's something wrong with you because your story looks different than those around you. 38 years old, I had never been in love, never been in a serious relationship, nothing, zip, zero. Everyone around me is checking every box, marriage, children, all the things. I mean, I hadn't even started my checks. And they're like two or three into their list. I felt so delayed, I felt so behind. I was like, wait up, I wanna get on that bus. God's like, it's not your bus. Don't try to get on a timeline you weren't created to walk out. Don't try to jump into a rhythm that God has for someone else and not you. You have to be confident in your timeline. You have to be confident in your story. If you start comparing your stories, and sometimes that means you disconnecting off social media because you can't handle one more engagement post. You can't handle one more marriage. Recognize your mental, emotional health. Guard that peace. If you're getting triggered off social media because everyone's posting that stuff, get off of social media media get to that place of peace and say I'm not gonna compare my timeline to someone else's timeline I'm gonna be confident in God what you're doing in my story and if it takes till I'm 39 years old till I'm 49 years old till I'm 59 years old God I'm gonna find a joy and a peace because marriage doesn't complete me I'm already completed in Christ Jesus What if we had women that went into marriage just full of God, fully surrendered, fully knowing who they are? What a different marriage we would have in so many marriages in America that were instead waiting for marriage to complete them, to tell them who they are. This is your opportunity to get to that place if you're not already there. See, another thing I had to push through, remember I'm telling you things I had to push through. First, I had to push through my own timelines and my own expectations. Those were mine. Because, you know, I saw my life a certain way. Anyone relate to that? It's not bad. But I just had a, I thought it would look like this. It looked, it still looks nothing like that. And yet I love my life. Number two, I had to push through other people's. 
And I hit on that a bit a moment ago, but let me reiterate this. I had, I had to push through other people's timelines and expectations, and that really came in the church. It was interesting. I worked in the fashion industry before I went into full-time ministry. In the fashion industry, my relationship status was not even a topic of discussion. It wasn't even addressed. Like, no one even, it was a moot point. Let me just say it that way. I come into the church, and everyone's like, anyone you're interested in? It was like always about marriage, guys, whatever. It was like all the people were so interested in. And you have to understand, until 35 years old, I would have all those people with the best intentions. This is your year. This is your, this is your year. God's going to bring them. They had full, so much faith for me, pre-35. I passed 35. I passed this invisible line in church standards. Unknowing I did. And all of a sudden, people are like, do you want to get married? It went from full of faith, this is your year, God's got you to, do, do you want to? Because now we're not sure anymore. I could see the faith dwindling, right? But I want you to know, I had to push through other people's expectations for my life. Even my loved ones, they wanted it for me. My parents wanted it for me. They never put pressure on me, but I knew they wanted that for me, and I didn't want to disappoint them. I, I, I wanted to get married, but I wanted to give them that too. And even though they're not putting pressure on you, people love you, there's, a, there's kind of this silent obligation we feel that our lives are a completion to other people's dreams as well. Does that make sense? You have to take that off. And allow your story to be your story. You are not a requirement for their dream to be fulfilled. And guess what? Their understanding of your journey is irrelevant to your journey. I had an awesome man of God, national leader. You would know him if I said his name. I was ministering at their church. comes up to me. He's known me for years but this was in my early 20s. In the middle of worship, I'm worshiping eyes closed fully with Jesus, loving it. Interrupts me, chaps him on the shoulder and says, I figured it out. I know why you're single. I was 26 years old. And he said, it's because you have issues with men. And I go, what? And everything was like, that is not true. Internally. That was my response. That's not true. Externally, because this person has weight in my life, their voice has value, I'd given permission to their voice in my life. So when you give permission to someone's voice, when they speak something, good and especially bad, there's a hit that it comes with. Well, I was devastated. Obviously, I was like, oh my gosh. And then we've all heard about blind spots, right? I was like, oh my gosh. Do I have a blind spot? So I'm like, the rest of the service, I don't even know it was preached. I thank goodness was not ministering that service. I was ministering at the church, but not, thank goodness not that service. And I was devastated. I was there the whole weekend. I call my dad, whom I'm very close to. I have a very great relationship with my dad. And actually, some people cannot have a really good relationship with their dad, and they still don't have men issues, okay? Because Jesus can restore and redeem all. Let's just establish that in the atmosphere. But I do have a good relationship with my father. I call him, and I tell him, what happened? And I was like, is there any truth in this? Because I, on one hand, I'm like shocked and hurt. But on the other hand, if there is in fact something, 
I do want to have freedom and I want to always grow and I want to be humble enough that is, if there is something that needs to be corrected, well then Jesus correct it. So I asked my dad and I asked my mom, they're like, Krista, you do not have issues with men. You love men. There's nothing in you that has issues with men. I'm like, well, I didn't think so. I mean, I'm a celebrator of men. I like men. I mean, they're not all awesome, but most of them are pretty great. I'm just kidding. That's true of women, right? I go back because I'm on staff at a church in the Bay Area at this time. So I go back and I go to my senior pastor on that Monday morning. And I go to his office. I knock on his door. And I was like, hey, can I have a minute of your time? He goes, yeah. And I tell him the whole story. I was like, is there any truth in this? Do you see? He goes, uh, Krista. He goes, we break that off. That is not true. I was like, thank you. Oh my gosh. All weekend. I was like tormented by this. So I went to Jesus. I said, Jesus, I don't understand why this man of God who's like super prophetic and amazing, like I really trust him. Like why in the world would he say that about me? And the Lord says, because in his own fleshly thinking process, he can't understand why you're single. He doesn't understand I have veiled you. I have veiled you, but because he doesn't understand the veiling over you, that is his fleshly interpretation and conclusion over actually what in fact is a sovereign veiling, and I've kept you in this time. So I want to speak over you. Some of the women in here, you are actually being veiled by God. You wonder why you haven't had any pursuers. You wonder why there is no one around. It's because God has put a veil on you, but he put a veil on you because the time is not right yet. But there will be an unveiling when God wants to do it. But other people, even that you respect, will not understand the veiling. They'll try to bring an earthly explanation for a heavenly equation. And I want you to know that God is doing his own thing in his own timing. See, there is a sovereignty in your life. We have to remember there is a God that protects you. How are we doing on time? Got a couple more minutes. I learned that God way, God way, God's ways are not my way. And I think Abraham learned that too. There was a long time till the prophetic promise child coming to pass. Why so late? Why so long? Sometimes I don't understand the timing of God and yet I know there is the timing of God. See, just like Abraham, his was a three-day journey to the altar of the Lord. Mine ended up being a three-year journey to the altar of the Lord. Meaning, at about 36 years old, when it was fully done at the altar and I laid it down, just like Abraham, it was three days. For me, it was three years till I went to the wedding altar. See, whenever you go to the altar of the Lord, there's always a heavenly divine exchange with the bride. See, there is a marriage that has to happen first and foremost with your heart and your life with Jesus. You're first and foremost his above everything else. See, there's a covenant that has to be so in lockstep. That was the word I heard in the spirit. I got up this morning at seven to pray in the spirit for a couple of hours before I came in this morning. I kept hearing over you ladies, specifically in the single session, that you're in lockstep. And I felt like the Lord says, I'm bringing a sinkness to you walking out your singleness so you're going to be tempted to take things into your own hands. They did too. That's why Ishmael was created. 
And so many times when there's the prophetic word, there's the promise, there's an encounter with God. I don't know about you, but there's often a large gap between when it was initially spoken to its actual manifestation. And it's in that waiting, which so many of you are in right now, it's in that waiting. You've had the promise, you have felt like God wants to do that. And for some of you, I feel led to say this, you may not feel like marriage is a desire. Well then go for God fully, do your thing. Paul would affirm you. But I want you to know, the Lord told me about the Ishmaels versus the Isaacs. And I'll end with this. I just I had a couple more things. I was just asking Jesus, what do you really want me to cover? I felt like the Lord's like, really end with this. Get this. To the naked eye, Ishmaels and Isaacs look exactly the same. They're both boys. They smell like boys. They act like boys. They talk like boys. Everything about them looks the same to the natural eye, to the naked eye. The only difference is one was man-made and one was the fulfillment of a prophetic promise God made. Ladies, you're not after just any marriage. You're after the Isaac marriage. You can create a marriage, that Ishmael marriage. There's plenty of even TV shows about Ishmael marriages. But it's all about standing true and I always say if if God wants to do it he'll bring the Isaac and if he doesn't then you're gonna have a joyful fulfilled life regardless because that is not a requirement for living out who you're called to be I'm going to be with you for the 130 session. I have a word for you at that session, but I don't want this moment to pass by because I want you to know I did not know Sean was going to come into my story. But I'm the biggest believer that when you wait on God to write your story, he writes the best stories. You'll be so tempted to take things into your own hands. You'll be tempted to cave to your timelines, to other people's timelines. But ladies, if I cannot emphasize anything enough, it is this. Trust God in writing your story. It cannot, it will not, it should not look like anyone else's around you. It will only look like yours. And for those of you that are cautiously concerned that are under the age of 30, dear Lord, don't let me be like Krista and I have to wait till I'm 39. <laughs> don't worry, your story will look really different. Why? Because your story is your story. So be confident in that. I'm gonna do this a little backwards because normally I do resource at the beginning and this might feel a little backwards, but then I want to pray over you. I just feel the need to highlight this. And I have a couple other resources I'll highlight at my second session. But this is called Singled Out in a Couple's World. I was pastoring in LA and there was all these discontented single people. So I actually wrote a message 
about singleness. And it became so popular, it was crazy. The thing went viral, it was pretty nuts. To the point I'm actually releasing the book called Singled Out in a Couple's World and some of what I talked about is in the book. It's gonna be re being released July 20th. But I simply say this, I am passionate about singles going full on for Jesus because you are more than your relationship status. Ladies, you are more than your relationship status. Whether you get married or don't, it doesn't matter. Whatever Jesus wants to do in your life is what he wants to do in your life. And if that's what he wants to do, then it's good because our God only gives good gifts. I want you to stand. As we go to lunch, I want to bless you. And I just feel this one thing before I pray over the whole of you. If you can be so vulnerable, and it will require some courage, but there is safety in this room, and I have been through every season and every part of singleness, so trust me when I say I get you, I get you. Who feels desperate in their singleness? I think there is no shame in that, but I felt like the Lord, I just, when I walked to that side of the room, so maybe it's on this side of the room, when I walked, awesome, thanks for being courageous, thank you for being courageous, I love that. Because um, right when I walked over here, I heard the Lord say, um, pray for those that feel desperate because I'm going to give them a supernatural grace. Grace in the waiting. So Jesus, for all of you that feel desperate and there's no shame in that, I just felt like God's like wanted to release on you a grace. So if that's you, just raise your hands all around this room. Jesus, for those that just feel desperate, Lord, I get that. I have felt that. I know that. Jesus, I break off desperation that comes from a place of wanting, of longing. And Jesus, you know the desire is good. The desire for marriage is a good desire. You created marriage. You created covenant. So Jesus, it's good. But Lord, we don't want to feel desperate in that. So I break off desperateness that isn't of you. And I ask you, Jesus, to release a supernatural grace. Lord, a grace that removes the aching, the grace that removes the pain, the grace that removes the longing. It doesn't mean the desire is absent, but the pain and the longing of it is removed. Jesus, I just pray for a joy where there's a death, once a desperation, I ask for a joy right now, that we find joy in our singleness, that we recognize our relationship status actually has nothing to do with us being fulfilled or not. But Jesus, we are fulfilled because we are fulfilled in you. So Jesus, I just thank you right now for every woman that's having the courage to say, that's me. Lord, pour out your grace and pour out your mercy in Jesus' name. And lastly, Lord, over every single woman in this room, just receive this. Lord, I pray your timeline over their life. And I feel like just to even take it further, timeline for children timeline for desires of their life lord for every part of their life because lord we we put timelines on a lot of stuff lord i pray we remove our timeline and we lean into yours jesus i pray for a grace in the waiting a grace in the being content and a grace in the contending for the more of god because all of it's you and we just say yes to you jesus whatever you want our story to look like we simply say have your way because we're all yours and lord we lay ourselves on the altar not to force you to do that but if that's you i just want you to raise your hands if you're saying i lay it on the altar of the lord i lay it on the altar i trust you with it lord i pray a, a fresh surrender in the room a fresh surrender that says Jesus I trust you
I trust you fully. I trust you completely. And you have all of me. I hold nothing back in Jesus' name.